So, Matthew chapter 9, we're going to pick up in verse 18. Um, some of you will remember this. Some of you have lived in this area long enough. Um, back before Winter Jam was so big that it had to go down to Knoxville to do its concerts. Um, they used to come down here to Freedom Hall and they would do their shows down here. And if you remember Winter Jams in Freedom Hall, then you probably remember one of the singers from New Song every year introing their set. He'd come walking out and he'd say, all right, I want everybody to hold up three fingers and say peace. Who remembers this? Is it just my sister and my wife? Okay, because they, they had this song three days later, everybody found out you can't keep a good man down, right? Does every, this is, that's the one, yeah. You're going to get it stuck in your head now, because I've had it stuck in my head since I thought of this. But they come out and say, say peace, and you're like, why? You're, you're kind of old and awkward. Why do I want to listen to what you say? But I always remember that guy, because he was the, like, he never sang solos on any of the songs, but he was always the, the guy that talked between songs. He was the guy that would come out after the set, and he would kind of set up their big ministry push as a band. Uh, one of the big things that they were really concerned about was, was the American church um, taking care of particularly children around the world who did not have enough money in their family to be able to afford to eat or to go to school or things like that. And they would try to encourage the church to step up and support these kids, to, to sponsor these kids, uh, give their money, uh, give their time, give their attention to focusing on the needs of these kids around the world. And it was a part of an organization that I'm sure most of us have heard of called Compassion International. I'm seeing lots of people nodding heads. And I was thinking about that organization. Um, we actually got, like, our family, this was, this was a while ago now. This was a long time ago. We actually got to go see one of the schools that Compassion International helped sponsor in Ecuador. It happened to be the school that the kid that Tori sponsored went to. I asked them to give me a kid from that school. You asked for a kid from that school. But in the end, she got to... She got to meet the kid that she was helping sponsor at that school. But, so, and I just remember thinking, you know, how bad could it be whenever you see New Song on their stage with all the stage lights and all of the, arise, my love, arise, all the time, every single time, you know, how, how, how real is this? How big is this help? And then we go to the school as you drive up the road with, like, buildings that are just falling apart all around you, and it's just all dirt, and most of the dirt isn't even like ground anymore, it's just like crumbled up building that has started falling apart, and that's what you drive through. And then you get to the school, and it's, you know, a cinder block building, and you walk in, and they say, hey, we're getting ready to serve lunch, do you want to take lunch up? And it's like, yeah, sure. They hand you a tray, and it's like, Who, which kid do I take this to? You're like, you take that to one of the tables. Like, that whole tray of food is for one table. But when you take that food up there, I remember that they like greeted you with song. Like they like burst into song. They'd sing to you as you brought them their food. You'd set the tray down and they'd all have lunch. And they were so excited to be there. And I understood once I saw what this organization was trying to do for these kids. I understood the idea more clearly of compassion. And I want us to get the idea of compassion this morning. This idea, I even, I even looked up the definition. Sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. So this idea that you see need, this idea that you see people who, 
who, have, who, who do not have something that you, you can provide. And you feel so broken for their need that you are compelled to do something for them. And one of the things that I want us to realize about Jesus is how compassionate he is for us. It's really easy to keep going through Matthew. We did, we did a section of, Caleb I think preached on it a couple weeks ago, a, a long section where Jesus healed a bunch of different people. And it's so easy to see, and now Jesus is going to heal more people. Yeah, he does that. He's Jesus. Of course he heals people. Can we, like, like we get it. We don't have to spend a ton of time. But I want us to understand not just that by healing people and by performing all of these miraculous works, Jesus is again revealing himself as the Messiah. It's not just that he's continuing to confirm to us, this is who I am. I really am the promised one that you all have been waiting for. But it's also going to reveal to us a little bit of a glimpse into the heart of God. A glimpse into who he is and what it is that he desires. And if we can get a better understanding of the compassion of Jesus, this idea that, that he sees brokenness and he is compelled to act because he has something to offer that no one else has. If we can understand that, maybe, just maybe, the church can also feel that same sense. For those that are in our lives that we see that maybe, maybe, maybe have less than we do or maybe are suffering in some sort of way. And, 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 when it says, and when it says sympathetic pity, I don't want it to be like, oh, that poor person. But it's like, it's a sympathy that drives us to action. It's a sympathy that motivates us to act like Jesus does. That's what our heart as the church should be. And I'm hoping that this morning, as we continue to see these miracles, it's not that we just see Jesus doing something, oh, he's doing something that I could never do. But instead it's, look at how much he loves these people and look at how much he wants to serve these people. So let's go ahead and pick up in Matthew chapter 9, verse 18. I'm going to read this first section here, picking up and going through verse 26. So Jesus has been answering some questions of various disciples and the Pharisees and all of this, and it picks up. While he was saying these things to him, behold, a ruler came to him and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. Instantly, the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house, he saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion. He said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside... He went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went throughout that district. We'll stop there. We're going to go a little bit further in just a bit. The first thing that I want us to see is in, in these instances where people are coming up to Jesus and saying, there is this need. My daughter has died. This person is sick. It doesn't say, and Jesus thought about it, and Jesus waited. It was, Jesus saw this need, and it says, and he got up and went, like right then. Right? He was in the, like you would say, he was in the middle of some really important work, right? He had, just, he had just called Matthew to himself. He was sitting there having a meal with a bunch of people that had been kind of grouped together as a group of tax collectors and sinners, 
right? So a bunch of people that don't know Jesus, that don't understand the love of God, are getting ministered to by Jesus. But yet this person comes up and says, my daughter's just died. And he says, that's right, let's go. And he gets up and he's ready to go right away. He's so moved for the need of this man that even though he's in the middle of something that is good, something that is important, something that he's going to continue to do throughout his ministry, he sees this immediate need and stands up and says, i got to go serve this guy right now. I'll talk to you all later, right? So he stands up and he says, come on, guys, we have something else more important to do. And I think it's worth noting, because you've got to think about the context of the group that he's around, right? He's been, he's been hanging out with tax collectors, and the Pharisees have already been watching him saying, why are you hanging out with these guys? So they're already, they're already keeping an eye on the social interactions that are going on. And it describes this man as a ruler who walks up to him, right? This isn't just some guy from down the street. This is somebody who would have been known in this community. The Pharisees would know this guy as some sort of community leader or a man who maybe served in the synagogue. We don't know exactly what his role was, but what we know is he was important. He was a man of authority. He was a man who other people looked up to. And this guy, in front of the Pharisees, in front of everyone else, comes up and kneels down before Jesus. Right? We've talked about this before, that when you're in the presence of a king, right, your posture changes. When you're in the presence of somebody of greater authority, you can't just kind of continue to act so flippantly like you normally would just around everybody else that you're used to seeing. But when you come into the presence of a king there is some sort of posture change that takes place. And so he kneels before Jesus, which, which is a sign of saying, you are in greater authority than I am. You are some sort of, of royalty or some sort of greater, higher authority. And he's making this declaration through his actions in front of whoever may see. He's not concerned with, I wonder who's going to see the fact that I'm this important guy and I'm going to go kneel down to Jesus. No. He's, he's so desperate, he's so lost in this moment because, because he's just lost his daughter that he doesn't care who sees. He's going to go submit himself to Jesus and say, Jesus, you're the only one that I could come to. You're the only one with the actual power to accomplish anything here. And what's amazing is at this point in his ministry, Jesus hasn't raised anybody from the dead. right? So he's asking for something that hadn't happened yet. He's just saying, you're Jesus, you've shown to have all this power, surely you, if anybody, can do something about this. Please, what can you do? So this is, this is, this is a crazy amount of faith that this man is showing. And Jesus' compassion quickly moves him to respond. Uh, so I'm going to skip the little middle story, we're going to come back to it, and I just want to kind of put the bookends on what Jesus does here. So he shows up at the house, and it says there were flute players and mourners. This probably indicates that, again, this guy being in a position of leadership was probably fairly wealthy. People, people would have hired people to come in and help them mourn the loss of a family member. So these are like professional sad people who would come in like... like I could imagine that my wife would need to hire some of these if something happened, because I show so little emotion. If she needs somebody to help her cope with something sad, she's going to have to hire it out, because I am just, I'm just, I'm just nothing. I just, yep, that's a sad thing that happened. I feel that real bad for you right now, right? 
everybody's sitting here thinking of the person in their life who is the cold and calloused one right now. Who's the cold and calloused person in your life? I, I, I wasn't going to point fingers. I was just going to assume. And when he comes in, he says, Don't, why are you guys crying? She's, she's just sleeping. Which, which these people, of course, are going to laugh because it's like, no, we know what our job is. Our job is to come in here and mourn the dead. So they wouldn't, we wouldn't be here if this person was not already dead. So he says, you all just get out, which is interesting because in with each of these things, he's going to kind of perform each of these miracles in as private a setting as he possibly can. And we'll talk about that again in just a second. So he kind of, he kind of pushes everybody out of the room and he tells the girl to get up and she gets up, and in some of the other accounts, it says, and he gives her back to her dad. Right? You can't hide that, though. Right? What's that last verse say? And report of this went throughout all that district. Right? You, you can't hide the fact that there was a dead girl, and now she's walking around, going back and hanging out with her friends, walking around with her dad. Right? So Jesus' compassion moves him to overcome death. That's the first idea. Jesus' compassion moves him to overcome death. Let's talk about this story that, that kind of got sandwiched in the middle because it was as he was walking. And there's a more detailed account of this uh, in Mark and Luke. Um, if you went to Passion with us in 2012, you heard, you heard Beth Moore teach on this story. It was awesome. It was really, I mean, it was good biblical teaching. But we had fun with the way she presented some of it. So as Jesus is walking, this woman who, it says, has suffered from a discharge of blood. Uh, we find out that it's been for 12 years. And in some of the other accounts, it says she had gone to as many people as she could think of to seek out help for this. So she desperately wants to be um, fixed, cured of this problem. I'm not going to go into all of the details of what it could have possibly been, but the big thing to know is that, that in the state that she was in, she was viewed as, as ceremonially unclean to all of her people. So she could not be in fellowship. She could not go to the synagogue and worship. She was, she was cast out as though she was leprous. She could not be included in community because of this illness that she was suffering from. And so when it says that she is going to go up and touch Jesus, that is a risky step for her to take. Because we've talked about, if you've been here on Sunday nights when we've been reading through all of the law, we keep coming back to this idea of if somebody is unclean, put them outside of the city for a time. You know, don't come into contact with somebody who is unclean or you are also made unclean. So this idea that she says, I just have to touch him and I'll be made well. And we've made this point before, but I want to make it again. When she touches Jesus, she does not make him unclean, but rather he makes her clean. He he cures her of her uncleanliness. And, and, and when he turns and he says to her uh, here in verse 22, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. He's saying this in a public setting. In some of the other accounts, we're being we were told that, that as they're walking, the crowd is so tight that people are just kind of squeezed in together as they're 
walking along the road. There are a lot of people following Jesus to see what he's going to do right now. And they're all pressed in on each other. So for him to say this to her in such a public place, in front of all of these people, he's basically saying, it's okay, I know you've been unclean, but you've been made clean. And he's kind of welcoming her back into fellowship. He's inviting her back into the community. He's saying, it's okay for you people to accept her as one of your own again. Because I have made her clean. I have not left her in this state that she was in. Her faith has made her well. We're going to talk about that phrase in just a second. And it says that, where is it here? If I only touch his garment. She, um, it says in some of the other accounts that she touched the tassel on his garment. Uh, Jewish, guy, Jewish men would uh, wear robes that would have four tassels on the corner. And the four tassels were supposed to represent the idea of being holy, being set apart. And so, and so when, you, when you go to Jesus, when you, when you find Jesus as your only solution, your only hope, you find yourself being set apart by him. The word here for healed is used throughout the rest of the New Testament in a lot of places for the word saved. So not only did he save her from her social separation, her her ceremonial uncleanliness, but in a sense this is the same idea as salvation. That, That her faith has saved her. Her recognition that Jesus is the only way has saved her. So Jesus' compassion overcomes death. Jesus' compassion overcomes uncleanness. And we're going to go ahead and read on, and we're going to see that Jesus' compassion overcomes our blindness. I'll pick it up here in verse 27. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. I'm not going to get into whether or not it's wrong to disobey Jesus when he says, Don't talk about me right now, because I don't want to answer that question. Uh, But... Societally, blindness apparently ranked just under death. Like, like it'd almost be better to be dead than to be alive and be blind in that society because you could not do anything. You could not, it was hard for you to find work so that you could feed yourself. Life was hard for a person who was made blind. And throughout all of the Old Testament, no one had been healed of blindness. No one had ever seen this idea, the, the, this particular um, struggle be overcome. So for these guys, again, Jesus had never raised someone from the dead. Jesus had not yet given somebody their sight. But, but they knew, they knew, the people who would be familiar with the Old Testament would know that they had already been promised in Isaiah 29 that when the Messiah comes, the Messiah is going to come and the blind are going to receive sight. That was a specific promise made to the time when, when the kingdom of heaven would be at hand, like Jesus has already been preaching throughout Matthew. When the Messiah comes, look, the people who are blind, they're going to see. And this is something that no one had ever seen before. And so for these men to come up to him and say, 
Have mercy on us, son of David. Again, this is the first time he's been given that title in Matthew. Son of David, saying, we know who you are. We know where you came from. We know what your purpose is here. We believe that you are this Messiah. And we've been told that when you come, when you get here, that the blind are going to get to see. This is an amazing idea because, because no one outside of Jesus ever cured blindness in the Bible. The, the disciples were given all sorts of, of power and authority, but, but only Jesus has ever opened up somebody's eyes so that they could see. It's an amazing thought to think that they could go from, from having no idea what was going on around them to being able to, to see Him and follow Him and... and, and Tell people about him. This idea that, and this is a comparison that we make all of the time when we're talking about salvation. This idea that we are, apart from Christ, we are blind. We cannot see. We cannot, we cannot know what's really going on right in front of us. Perhaps you've experienced this with somebody that you're close to that's not a believer. And you're like, but look, it says this right here about Jesus. Look at all of these things that he's doing. But their eyes are closed off to the truth and they can't see it for what it really is. So they attribute it to something else. That's the same thing that Jesus experiences in verse 32. It says, as they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke and the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. This is good because it, it, it continues to build on this point that Jesus sees this man, has compassion for him, and gives him words to say, right? Like before this, it's not just that he couldn't talk, but he couldn't, he couldn't speak of who Jesus was. And Christ opened his mouth and gave him words to speak. But, but like we were just saying, if, if your eyes have been opened to the truth like the blind men had, you see this and you're marveling at what Jesus is accomplishing. Look, no one has ever done these things that Christ is doing. No one has ever accomplished so many amazing, wonderful things. But if you're still blind, if you're still, if you're still separated from the truth, if Jesus hasn't opened your eyes yet, when you see those things, you just double down on your, your dislike for what Jesus is doing. You just, you, just, you just sink further back into how hard you have convinced yourself that none of this is real. None of this is what he is actually doing. But instead, they attribute it to the power of Satan. Jesus is accomplishing wonderful things. Jesus is showing an amazing amount of compassion and love for his people. And yet, these people who are supposed to be the religious leaders are so happy with where they are, are so comfortable with the power and the authority that they have built up for themselves, that instead of see, see God working to restore his people they're offended by it. They're put off by it. 
And the phrasing that they start using starts to take more and more of an ominous tone. It kind of transitions from being, this guy's annoying to, well, now he's working for the enemy, to, well, if he's our enemy, as we're going to see through the, rest of the Bible, through the rest of the book, if he's our enemy, we've got to do something about it. And we're starting to see these hints and these, these little suggestions that Jesus is already on his way toward the cross where his compassion for us, his love for us, is fully displayed. When it's more than just standing up from a meal with important people that you could be ministering to and going, and going to serve a man who's lost his daughter. When it's more than that, but it's, it's he, he stands up from a table with, with his closest brothers and says, now I have to go die. And he walks, and he walks up a hill and he gives his life to accomplish all of these things that he's kind of given us glimpses of, the things that he has the power and the authority and the desire to overcome on a much grander scale. It wasn't just that this guy couldn't talk. It was that this guy that he just healed was oppressed by a demon. And it reminds us, it continues to remind us that there is a much bigger battle going on than just this guy couldn't speak. There there are many, many more battles to be fought. There are many more things going on that we can't see. The battle that Jesus is in is, is, is global. It's bigger than global in scale. And it reminds us that we have to open our eyes and realize how big the scope of what we're involved in actually is. And these guys are seeing, the Pharisees are seeing what Jesus is doing and they're offended by it. They couldn't, they, 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 all they could do was, was, place, was place apparent sinful blame on him. They were trying to say that he was doing something evil. They couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't speak the truth because, because Jesus hadn't given them the words to say yet. They couldn't see what he was actually doing because he hadn't yet opened their eyes to see what he was really doing. They couldn't serve Him. They couldn't go out and serve Him in the way that He would desire because they were, they were spiritually dead and spiritually they were unclean. They were the ones who were on the outside needing Jesus to clean them and bring them into fellowship. In every single one of these stories, we get a glimpse of what Jesus accomplished for us at the cross. It wasn't ever just that He died so that we don't have to go to hell. Yes, that is true. But that is so simple a saying of what he was able to accomplish. He accomplished so many more things. He, he gives us words so that we can praise him. He, he gives us words so that we can declare that he is the only true hope, the only possible way for us to find healing. He opens our eyes to see the truth of what he's accomplishing. He gives us a mission. He, he, he gives us something to do where we could before do nothing because we were dead. Right? I go, I go back to Ezekiel 37 all the time because I love Ezekiel 37. I love that picture of Ezekiel showing up and seeing just this huge valley full of dry bones. This, this army that was dead and left. And God says to Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones, tell them to raise up. And not only do they raise up, but they become bodies, and then they become alive, and then they become an army, ready to serve God. This idea that we were, 
we, it's not just that we're lost. It's not just that we're confused. It's not just that we're blind. It's not just that we have nothing to say. We're dead. But because Jesus has such compassion for us, because he loves us so much, he doesn't want to leave us in that place. He doesn't want to leave us wandering around blind. He doesn't want to leave us not knowing the goodness of who he is. So he does that for us. We saw a couple of different times it uses phrases like their faith has healed them. Their faith has made them well. So is it because, is it because they had this amount of belief that he did this for them? Was it this kind of exchange faith for healing? I don't think so. I think it's that because they understood that he was their only hope. He was the only one who could do it. They recognized their need for him. They didn't, they didn't continue to, to build themselves up and think, oh, I can accomplish whatever I need to do. Just got just to gotta want it enough. Got to get after it enough. And then it'll happen. No. Their faith, their, their recognition that they were hopeless. They, they couldn't do anything. I can't, I can't be blind and then say, I'm going to see today if I want it enough. No. It doesn't work that way. Jesus is our only hope. We have to recognize our weakness. And we have to recognize the fact that He loves us. We have to recognize the fact that, that in our brokenness, in our weakness in our sinful place this place that we are it doesn't matter what type of sin we're in it doesn't matter what we've done it doesn't matter what we've accomplished if Jesus loves you and wants to do something with you he's going to do it and we just got to we just got to let go of this 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 sense of control that we try to hold on to and say yes that i want that i want you So when we pray here in just a second, I want us to become so overwhelmed by this idea that, that the God, the creator of everything, who could just you know, be done with us, snap his finger and we disappear. Which, which if you've been reading the Old Testament with us, he was really tempted to do a couple of times because we're so annoying. Right? All he's got to do is be like, you know what, I think I should just start over. And, he'd probably be, and he would be right to do it. That God, instead of starting over from scratch, decided, you know what, instead, I'm going to actually just give them my son. I'm going I'm to let him go, and I'm going to let him die instead of them. Because I love them, and I want them to be a part of my family. And I want to interact with them, and I want to I talk with them, I want to I be a part of their life. And I'm willing to sacrifice my prized possession, my greatest joy for their sake so that they can be made alive, so that they can be made clean, so they can have their eyes opened, so that they can shout the glories of who I am. Let's pray.